grab your Bibles, John chapter 13, John chapter 13, you just heard it read uh, from Jasmine, uh, and here's what we're going to do, we're going to do a standalone sermon for this morning. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with that language, here's what that means. We, we just spent 20 weeks in the book of Exodus, and, and I don't know about you, but it felt like, right, God was providential over that sermon series. Each and every week, I, I found myself wandering and wandering through the craziness that is 2020, and God would bring a word to us from Exodus that was just timely and perfect, at least for my heart. And next week, what we're going to do is we're going to start a sermon series entitled Blueprints. So if you think about how you build a home, you don't just slap some two by fours and nails together unless, unless you're like from Barstow or something. And if you do that, then, then that's okay. That's just not what I do. What you, what you do do, uh, yeah, Grant, I see you back there. I see that hand. Uh, now, here's what you do. You go to an architect, you go to an engineer, and what do they do? They draw up plans for you. They draw up blueprints. And, and you follow those to the T, and then you know you're gonna have a house that's constructed the way it should be constructed. Now, in that sermon series, Blueprints, what we're going to do is we're gonna consider each week, how, what are the blueprints for Christ's church? How does the New Testament describe the church? Who is the church? What is the church to do? Who, who leads the church? What is worship? What is community? But in the in-between, between Exodus and Blueprints, what I get to do is a standalone sermon. Now, I love standalones because I just get to sit back and consider, what time are we in? What, what space are we in? What's going on in our church? What's going on in our world? And how can God minister to us through his word, in particular to this time and this place? Now, it just just so happens that today is Yom Kippur. If you're not familiar with that, that's, that's the Jewish word for the Day of Atonement. Now, in the book of Exodus that we just covered, we see the Day of Atonement everywhere, where the high priest would go in and go through purification rituals and go through a sacrificial system in order to seek forgiveness and find forgiveness from the Lord on that Day of Atonement. Now, in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is the high priest, that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, and that through Jesus, we have our atonement once for for all, that in Jesus we are fully and freely and forever forgiven. But Yom Kippur is not just about atonement, it's also about repentance. Where the high priest, on behalf of the people of Israel, would say, Lord, we are turning from the things of this world and we are turning to you and you alone. So today we have joined with, with our, our network that we're a part of. It's called Acts 29, eight, 900 churches across the world, where we have all said, let's mark today as a day of repentance. Let's corporately, as churches, repent together. Let's turn from the things of this world and turn to the Lord alone. And so what we're going to do is we're going to consider together how can we individually and corporately repent as this word would teach us and lead us and convict us. So at the end of my sermon, I'm going to leave some time for quiet reflection before we partake in the Lord's Supper. Now, as I've prayed about this week and what that looks like and, and I've considered everything that God would have for us, there's been a, a question that's been rolling around in the back of my mind for quite some time through, through 2020. So we think about our calling as disciples. What's our calling? Our calling is to be disciples who make disciples, who reproduce disciple after disciple after disciple. That is our job description. Now, here's the question. Why would the world, right, those we're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus, why would they want in on this if the church is just a cheap reflection of the world? 
Say it again. Why would the world want in on Christ's church when Christ's church looks just like the world? It's a cheap reflection because so much of the world's ideology and worldview and, and, and formation has seeped into the church that we no longer look set apart. We no longer look different. We no longer look other than the world, but we look eerily similar to the world. Now, because of the ministry that I've been allowed to do over the years, I've done some speaking and some writing, I have the opportunity to talk to pastors on a weekly basis from across the world. And here's what I hear on repeat from pastors. I'm discouraged. I'm weary. My church is divided. People are leaving over political issues. And listen, it's happened here. Like, we'll just be honest, right? This is a little family meeting this morning. It, it's it happening everywhere where people are divided instead of united on Christ's love. Like I think about the world that we live in where the poles are getting farther apart and the polarization is deep. Like masks are from Satan or masks are our only hope in this world. And there's no in between. Where we think about this virus, like either this virus is real and it's deadly and we should be terrified of it or this virus is a complete hoax. That I, I can't be, like, how can you be a Christian and be a Democrat? How can you be a Christian and be a Republican? Like, hearing those things. Uh, you, you see things around ethnicity and race and the division across the world. And, and again, why would the world want in on Christ's church when Christ's church looks just like the world on those issues? And here's, as I've considered, like, what's underneath this? What's going on? And I think one of the things that contributes to this is that we get on the internet and then all of a sudden we become experts on everything. We get a little bit of information, now I know everything, right? All of a sudden I read one article and I'm an expert on constitutional law. Man, I, run, I read one article and I know biology and I know chemistry and I know how all of this works. I'm an, a mental health expert. I, I'm an expert on how the church should run and how it should be, be operating in today's day and age. And here's what happens when we become experts in our own minds. We become puffed up with conceit and our goal in life is to be right. When the word we just read from Jasmine and from John 13, what does it say? Our goal is not to be right. Our goal is to love one another. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to consider. And that's what we're going to walk into today together. We're going to consider like, what is the antidote? Like I look out and, and I see the utter mistreatment and disdain of other Christians at the hand of fellow Christians. And man, it's mind boggling. Like, how do we get here? And what is the antidote to that? If you can't tell, I'm fired up this morning. So Here's the big idea for today's sermon. Christians are to love like Jesus in order to display Jesus. We're called to love like Jesus in order to display Jesus. Like, play this imagination game with me. What if the world did not see a divided church, but they saw a church united upon the love of Jesus Christ? Like, what if the world didn't see a church full of mudslinging based upon my agenda and my platform, but they saw a church built upon and only upon the love of Jesus? What if the world didn't see a church where personal preferences reign supreme, but instead the world saw a church where I say, I'm gladly laying down my freedom for the sake of the other? What if they saw that? What if they saw a church built on the hope of Jesus, not the hope of my agenda, the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus alone? Man, I think we'd be better than okay. I think we'd be doing all right, church. So here, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through those two verses. There's three parts to it. We're gonna see love commanded by Jesus. 
That love illustrated by Jesus, and then we're going to see the love promised through Jesus. Okay, love commanded, love illustrated, love promised. First part, this is our love commanded. Go back to your Bibles, John 13, verse 34. Just the first half. Jesus speaking to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is the command of Jesus. Love one another. Let me give the context for this passage. The first 11 or so chapters of the book of John are the first 33 years of Jesus' life, right? He's born. We see him growing. We see him maturing. We see his baptism and the Holy Spirit descend upon him. We see him called to ministry. We see him call the other disciples to ministry. And then he spends three years doing public ministry where he's healing people. He's teaching. He's performing miracles. He's going from town to town preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 12, there's a sharp turn where the the narrative will speed up really fast. And it's what's called the final discourse. And it's over the span of just a couple of days. And what Jesus will do is at the beginning of chapter 13, after walking on this long dusty road, they'll get into a home and Jesus will fill a basin with water. He'll kneel down and he'll wash the disciples feet. This will become important in a little bit. So remember that. And then Jesus and the disciples, they'll recline at a table and Jesus will start making some prophetic statements about himself. Here's what he's going to say. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be betrayed by those closest to me. And then I'm going to stand before a judge and that judge is going to declare me guilty. And then I'm going to be crucified in your place. I'm going to lay dead in a tomb for a few days, but then I'm going to be resurrected in power over death and over Satan. I'm going to come. You're going to see me. You're going to experience me, but then I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the father. But don't worry. I will return again and I'll restore all things back to perfection. This is, this is the storyline of the scriptures. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples about him himself and what's coming their way. But then right before we get to our verses, Jesus says something that's terrifying. He says to his disciples, where I am going, you cannot come with me. The place I'm going, you can't come to the right hand of the father. You're not going to be there. Why is that terrifying? Well, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. You have just spent three years with Jesus, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh, and you've watched this man teach and lead and help and guide and perform miracles and give sight to the blind and give hearing to the deaf. And all of a sudden he's saying, I'm taken off, but you're not going with me. This has to be terrifying And that's right where Jesus jumps into verse 34 and says, this new commandment I give to you, love one another. So Jesus is going to be gone. If he's not going to be right next to them, if he's not going to be teaching them and guiding them and helping them, if he's not going to be on a day-to-day basis in the flesh with the disciples, here's what he says. Now you're calling, represent me to each other. Christians, the word literally means little Christ. As followers of Jesus, we are little Christ called to represent Jesus one to another. And and what does Jesus say the umbrella command is? How do we represent him? By loving one another. Let's talk about a couple things here in this text. The first thing is that this is a commandment from Jesus. It's not a suggestion from Jesus. He is commanding this of his disciples. He uses the phrase, love one another. That phrase, one another, is an all-encompassing command for every Christian. Listen, the 12 original disciples, oftentimes I think we elevate them to being perfect humans, but they weren't. They're just like us, sinners and fallen and flawed. So here's what I think. I think within those 12, there was probably some strife every once in a while. 
probably some frustration with each other. Like, listen, Peter was crazy. So everyone probably looked at Peter like, oh, here he goes again. But Jesus is saying to them, love one another. All encompassing. You look around and you see every disciple of Jesus everywhere. And as a follower of Jesus, you are called to love every one of them the way Jesus has. And what is Jesus's love for us? Jesus loves those who have rebelled against him those who have disagreed with him, those who have turned their backs on him. And this is the type of love that Jesus has commanded to his disciples. And then uh, this command is authoritative because Jesus is authoritative. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But the most peculiar thing about this passage, and you're probably wondering, why is that word new in there? Why is this a new commandment? I I was asking myself that, like, we just got through the book of Exodus, right? We saw the Ten Commandments summed up, love God, love neighbor. How is this a new commandment? We've heard this before. It's not that the command is new, it's that the standard is new. Here's what I mean by that. When you hear love God, love neighbor, that's kind of vague. But as the followers of Jesus, we have seen the type of love that he has given to his people. And now Jesus is saying, you've seen love embodied. You've seen what I have done. This is the type of love with which you are to love one another. So it's not that this is a new command. It's that the standard of the command is brand new. There's no more vague, vagueness to it. It's an incredibly crystal clear command. Like, think about the things we say that we love. I love Katie. I love Peyton and Owen, and probably in that order. I love, I'm not supposed to say that. I love preaching and teaching God's word. I love being in God's word. I love when the Dodgers lose, but man, it's probably their year. Though we could put a massive asterisk next to it because, you know, it's 60 game season, right, Fredo? Uh, I love when the Dodgers lose. I love when the Packers lose. I love when the Clippers lose. I love it when the Clippers lose, right? So if you can't tell, I love not losing more than I love winning. I love Taco Bell. And I love that new T-Swift album, right? And more and more, we can just keep going down the list of the things that we love. But oftentimes when we use that word love, we can water down and make meaningless the depth and the weight of this word where my Christian love of you is on equal footing with my love for a cheesy gordita crunch. Like that just doesn't make sense. The command to love is nothing new for the disciples, but that standard of love is what is new. And honestly, hearing those words should hit us like a ton of bricks because this is a terrifying command from Jesus. We think about the type of love that he has embodied, the type of love he has displayed, the type of love he has walked in, and here's what we should feel. Small, unable, unwilling, because we are. We are not able to love in this type of way, which is why in order for us to display the love of Jesus, we must draw upon the love of Jesus. Here's why I think the church can be such a cheap imitation of the world, because we are discipled by the world, because we've been led by the world, but because we're drawing upon the worldview and the teaching of the world. And the only thing that can come out of us is the world when we're being formed into the image of the world. Like, let me just say some things with clarity. If CNN or Fox News is teaching you, you will not love like Jesus. If your hope is in Joe Biden or Donald Trump being elected, you will not love like Jesus. 
If Twitter or Facebook or Instagram are the source of your discipleship, you are not going to love like Jesus. If you need to learn more about that, watch the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix, and pretty quickly you're going to delete all of your social media accounts. If the New York Times or Ben Shapiro are your source of truth, you will not love like Jesus. If LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Candace Owen, or Joe Rogan are the ones that are leading you and teaching you and forming you, the love of Jesus will not flow from you. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Jesus is saying, I'm departing from my disciples. Now you're called to love like I have loved you, but Jesus is not among them displaying this love anymore. So what the disciples are naturally gonna do as fallen human is they're gonna go to the things physical and tangible and right in front of them, just like we do. We go to the easy things that are easy to consume instead of running consistently and constantly after Jesus. And we live this kind of compartmentalized faith. This faith where we say, Jesus, you can forgive my sins and give me my get out of hell free card, but you're not gonna touch my politics. Jesus, you're going to be the one who saves me by dying in my place. But man, you're not touching my finances or my neighborhood or my home or my workplace or any relationship I might be in. And we don't let the love of Jesus penetrate to each of those places. But what we are called to do as followers of Jesus is surrender absolutely and wholly to his love coming to every place of our life and transforming every place of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must draw upon the love of Jesus in every area in order to display the love of Jesus. The irresistible pull for each of us is to gravitate towards the world, not gravitate towards Jesus. You don't drift into a love relationship with Jesus. You drift away from it. So what can we do, church? Man, we must ask ourselves some questions. Am I being discipled by these things? Like, listen, if the first thing you do when you wake up is open Twitter, there's something broken down in there. If the first thing we do before we go to bed is see what Anderson Cooper has said about X, Y, or Z, man, we're, we're not being discipled by Jesus. If we find ourselves getting angry when things aren't going our way, if we find ourselves being full of joy when something goes our way in this world, not just in Jesus and Jesus, look, man, there's something broken down. Church, we cannot be discipled by the world. We must be discipled by the word. The word and the word alone will teach us about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and we must let this come and wash over all of us and change the way we think and live and operate. Listen, when I talk to pastors everywhere and they're saying people are leaving churches over political differences, here's the broken down problem. The love of Jesus transcends all of that, and what we can say is despite who you vote for, I'm united to, to Jesus in faith, and I'm united to you be, because of Jesus, so I'm not going anywhere. I have staying power because of the love of Jesus. So we must, church, get into the word and we must stay in the word. We must press into community, not isolate ourselves. We must come and worship and be with each other. Here's why I think 2020 can be so destructive because we're painting caricatures of each other. The, the relationship is, has been all but taken from us where we can't sit down over a cup of coffee with someone and say, just tell me your thoughts. And we see something they post on Facebook and all of a sudden we hate them and they hate us. That's just ridiculous. And that's not how the love of Jesus works. 
So, so first, the, the love commanded to us to love like Jesus. The, the second part that we're going to see is the love illustrated by Jesus. Now, I'm a huge military kind of history, military strategy guy. I love reading about the military. And recently, I've just had a fascination with the Navy SEALs, been reading a lot about the SEALs. And, and we think about the advanced training that the SEALs go through. It's called BUDS. And a lot of times when we hear about that, we think that that training is meant to create the greatest soldier, in the, like a ruthless soldier. And that's just not how it works. The way that BUDS works is what they're trying to do is imprint the principles of the Navy on these soldiers. Why? Well, because these soldiers at a moment's notice are going to go to the hardest places, do the hardest things, and they're not going to be able to prepare for it. So emotions are going to be running high. Chaos is going to be abounding. Confusion is going to be abounding. Adrenaline is going to be rushing. And what they need to do is default to their instincts. And their instincts are the principles of the Navy so that they don't get overwhelmed with the situation. Now, why I tell that story is that the disciples have just spent three years with Jesus. They have seen Jesus displaying his love, giving them his love. They've been watching him treat every person with his love. They've seen the principles and, 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 and the principles applied of Jesus's love to them on a constant basis so that when Jesus departs and chaos abounds and confusion abounds and adrenaline is rushing and emotions are high, 2020, anyone? Unknown is coming in. We can default to our instincts. The disciples were called to default to their instincts and their instincts were the principles of Jesus's love. So let's talk about those principles of Jesus's love. How does Jesus illustrate his love? First, Jesus loves through service. We just saw it at the beginning of John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. You know this, the ancient world didn't have paved roads, dirty, muddy, dusty roads, walking everywhere you went, no, no closed-toed shoes, sandals, filthy feet. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, they come into a home and he says, hey, sit down, I'm gonna get on my knees and I'm gonna wash your feet. Which by the way, feet in the ancient world were the lowest of lows. The, it, it was, if you were at my feet, you were my servant. And this is what Jesus is saying. I am your servant. I've come to serve you in the greatest way possible by bringing you into my kingdom through my life, death, and resurrection. And now as his disciples, we are called to display his love through how we serve. We are to be servants where we willingly, like Jesus, make ourselves low, lower than low. Nothing is beneath the Christian when it comes to service. And so listen, as we're starting these services again in person, you can see there's easy ups everywhere. It takes four person on a lake. We need more people. Our tech team needs help. They can't do this week in and week out. You know how to press buttons and plug things in? And you're up, you're in. Sign up to serve. We need you. And this is a tangible expression of Jesus's love. Why? Because people showed up as early as seven o'clock this morning to begin setting this up that you might experience Jesus's love through song and word. We are called to serve one another. Jesus loves through sacrifice. Right after washing the disciples' feet, what does Jesus say? He says, one of you is gonna betray me, but the one who betrayed me, that's the exact person I died for. Jesus died for his enemies and through his blood, we can be reconciled back to God and become his friends from enemies to friends, from hostile relationships to friendly relationships with Jesus. And he sacrificed his very life to accomplish this. Jesus is self-giving, not self-seeking, his death for our life. Listen, 
listen, the measure of our love for someone is the lengths we are willing to go to sacrifice for them. The measure of our love for someone is the lengths we're willing to go to sacrifice for them. I, I think about the different stages of marriage and, and we're still early in ours, but you know, you're, you're in your, your pre-marriage phase and you're doing all those things and here's what you're, you're saying. Like, I'm never going anywhere. You're awesome. I, I like the way you're put together. I love your family. This is so good. I'm ne- this is, aw- and, and it's just like kind of this, this, this angsty type of love. And then you get married for a few years and that first year, right? It's a little bit rough. Things are hard. You realize, man, I gotta live with someone every day. Like I can't go home and they can stay at their home and we're gonna discover little quirks about each other. And that's where you have to choose tangibly. I'm gonna sacrifice for you because I love you. And then I look out and I see like my grandparents for many years who have been married and are sacrificing to the point. I mean, you guys have seen this. When people have been married for 50 years, what are they doing? They're wiping each other. They're showering each other. They're dressing each other. And this is their love on display. This is the type of love with which Jesus has loved us, where he gave everything up that we might be saved. And we are called to sacrifice everything we are and all that we have for the sake of one another. Jesus loves without distinction. John three sixteen, right? The most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Through him, we can be saved. The whole world, Jesus loves without distinction people from every tribe, tongue, nation, background. There is no entrance exam for the kingdom of God. All you have to do to be qualified is have sin, and that's all of us, and look to Jesus, our Savior, and he alone can save. There are no other requirements. The second you begin saying things like, how can you be a Christian and vote for Biden? How can you be a Christian and vote for Trump? Like, making that a requirement for salvation. How can you be a Christian and wear masks? How can you be a Christian and not wear masks? It's silly, It has nothing to do with salvation. Jesus and Jesus alone for all peoples everywhere. Jesus loves both individually and communally. He loves all the way right down to you individually. His love is intimately personal, but he also loves on a communal level, his whole church. His love is not only intimately personal, but it's corporately powerful. And so as we look around at Story Church, We say, I'm going to love each and every one of you individually, but I'm also going to love you as a whole. How can we do that? Lay down our preferences. Lay down our preferences. As soon as our preferences begin to guide us for what we want, how we want this thing to work, that's the second we begin to tap out. The second we demand our preferences rule everything, that's the second we are, we are not loving the church as a whole. So what we're asking in this season, it's fairly minor. We're gonna sit outside. It's a beautiful day. We don't have kids ministry. Your kids are hearing the word. We're putting masks on, big deal. Big deal. It's not gonna last forever. Deal with it. And one day it's gonna change and we're gonna have loved each other through this. We don't know who's at this service. We don't know the conditions. We don't know the anxiety. We don't know the fear. And when, when Christians have unknowns, they don't fill in the blanks with their preferences. They fill in the blanks with laying their rights down for the sake of the whole. We are called to love in that way. Jesus' love is patient and it's kind. 
Like, think about those two words, patience and kind. That's like a refreshing bomb dropped in the midst of a hostile age. Like, cancel culture, it stinks. And the inevitable end of cancel culture is it's going to cancel itself out. But the second cancel culture gets in the church where we're giving up and tapping out just because someone said something wrong, man, if we all held ourselves to that standard, we'd all be gone. There'd be no church. We don't cancel each other. Jesus hasn't canceled us. He continues to pursue us. He has left heaven's throne to pursue us. He has given his life to pursue us. We don't give up on each other. We press in. This is the type of love with which Jesus has loved us. And this love is patient and it's kind. Listen, let me, let me again say some things that are clear. There's a lot of confusion and division in the world today. And a lot of the responses we're seeing in the world today are the wrong response. Okay, murdering, it's wrong. Looting, it's wrong. Rioting, it's wrong. It's sinful, it's evil. And that is not the Christian response to what's happening in this world. Listen, celebrating the death of someone, whether it's a police, office, a police officer or a Supreme Court justice, Christians don't cel- celebrate death. Death is the great enemy and Jesus has died to defeat it. We do not celebrate death. That is not the response to what's going on in our world. Instead, the response is like this, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable, ouch, or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How refreshing is that in the middle of 2020? A love that doesn't give up, but is patient and kind. A love that is not boastful or resentful. A love that is enduring and believes and bears. So when you have questions about your fellow Christians, don't fill in the gaps with suspicion. Fill in the gaps with believing the best. Believe all things. Love that is patient and kind. Finally, Jesus' love is staggering. Jesus' love is staggering. So so recently, and I know a lot of you have been to to Zion this summer, our family went to Zion National Park, and we just drove through it one day. And when you're there, I mean, you're surrounded by the beauty and the immensity and the power of it. Like, it's overwhelming to the point where you're standing at the base of it, looking up. You feel tiny. You feel like this, this, this park is just staggering. And, and this is the type of love where in front of Jesus, you look at the lavishing love of God. It's so big. It's so unending. It's so powerful. It's so overwhelming. It's so beautiful. You're just like, Wow. This is incredible. I don't have words to describe. It's so staggering. And when Katie and I got to Zion, we looked at each other that night and we went back to the hotel room and we just like kicked each other. We're like, why did it take us so long to get here? And when you experience the love of Jesus, you're like, what took me so long to experience this? This is the type of love we are called to give to the family of faith, a type of love that is overwhelming. Man, I think about stories from this, this past year or families that have had babies and, and, and financial loss, like this church has rallied around them and provided things for them. people who didn't have much, just giving away and giving an overwhelming type of love to these people. This is the staggering love of Jesus. And this is how Story Church should feel. 
So Jesus gives this new standard of love and he displays this for three years to his disciples. He says, I'm going away, but this is the type of love you're to have for one another. So this type of love is a love driven by servanthood and sacrifice where it's patient and kind. It's for everyone individually and the church as a whole and a love that is beautiful and compelling and refreshing. This is the culture we intend to build at Story Church. And listen, if you don't want in on that, that's, it's okay, just go ahead and opt out. Because our theology of God's love will always work itself out in God's love being practiced among us. And I'm stoked for that, that culture to come in time. All right, third and final point. John 13, 35. Look back at your Bible. By this, by your love for one another, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, so by this, everything just described about the love of Jesus, there's the word will. The word will is a word of promise. They will what? Know you are my people. If we possess a Jesus love, people will know we are Jesus people. And let me remind you, the command here from Jesus is just an internal love, one to another. This doesn't say anything about outside of the church. Listen, this is a simple command, but simple does not mean easy. Simple does not mean easy. Jesus simply says, listen, love one another, love each other, love your family of faith. And listen, the whole world's gonna see this and they're gonna wanna get in on this. But the, the, the saddest word in this whole text is right there in verse 35, if you have love for one another, if. That word if makes it conditional. It's a promise that's conditional upon our obedience. As a sinful and fallen and rebellious people, our gut reaction to commands are not obedience. Our gut reaction is disobedience. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the whole world is gonna know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another and you need to press in and pursue this type of love. And then this internal love is gonna flow outward and outsiders are gonna become insiders and this is gonna, get, go, this is gonna happen into perpetuity where people are gonna become disciples and followers of Jesus and get in on the love love we have for one another. Now, why is this such a beautiful promise? Listen, I can look at 2020 and get really discouraged. And then I can begin to place my hope in things of this world, not hope, the hope I have in Jesus alone. Like what our world doesn't need for hope is the right president or Supreme Court justice. What our world does not need for hope is for any individual ethnicity or people group or language to become supreme over all others. What our world does not need for hope is a new system of education. What our world does not need for hope are new laws to be written and governed. What our world needs for hope is the sin-eradicating, burden-lifting, heart-transforming love of Jesus. That is what our world needs. That and that alone. I mean, think about those words, the sin eradicating love of Jesus. It is only through Jesus that we can be forgiven of our sins and we can be transformed and society can be transformed. If you want society to change, preach the good news of Jesus. If you want society to change, bring the burden lifting love of Jesus one to another where we say, it's, I know it's a tough season for you. I know things are hard for you. I know finances are, I know you're confused, but guess what? I'm with you. I'm gonna carry this alongside you and we're gonna get through this together. You are not alone. And this is what Jesus says to his followers. Where we think about the heart transforming love of Jesus, where the heart transformed leads to everything transformed. 
This is it, friends. The love of Jesus. Love one another in the way Jesus has loved you. So here's how I want to close this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to hear me clearly. That love is available for you. Where Jesus has said, I have willingly entered into human history. I have taken your sin on my shoulders. I have died the death you deserve. I have been resurrected over sin, death, and the grave. If you turn from your sin and you trust in me, that love is all yours now and forever. That's the invitation from Jesus. But four-story church, man, I want you to commit to this type of love with me. The type of love that does not boast, it's not envious. The type of love that doesn't run when things get hard. The type of love that presses in when things get hard. The type of love where I say, I'm gonna serve and sacrifice everything I have and all that I am for the sake of the greater good of this church. The type of love that says my relationship with you is not dependent upon you having the same agenda as me, having the same uh, views of politics and education and money as me, but my love for you is dependent upon Jesus' love for both of us. We're gonna press into that together. And in blueprints, we're gonna call you to this type of love over and over and over again as we consider who is the church and what is the church called to do. Now, what I wanna do, we've got some time. I just wanna spend the next three minutes max, just individually, quietly, where you're at. Today's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement and Repentance. I want us to repent. I know this last week, as I was reading some of this stuff, and I was studying, and I was considering the love of Jesus, there's areas I've missed it big time. And I just had to get before Katie and, and before the, the staff team here and, and, and before the Lord and just say, man, guys, I'm sorry. I failed. And, and then most importantly, go before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. I failed. Will you forgive me? Just turn from those things. I, I've made my agenda the primary thing. I've made my personal preference the thing we should pursue. I've, I've made my particular poli- politics and, and view of people. Th- that's what we should be going at, and that's not what God's called us to. God has, God has called us to pursue him as he pursues us. So I just want you to spend a couple of minutes just considering, man, where have I missed it? And how, how can I turn to the Lord, trust in him again, repent of some things, confess some things, and seek his forgiveness again? And here's the good news, church. Right after that, we're going to take communion. And when we celebrate communion, what we're going to celebrate is you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Like, hear that. You are forgiven because of the love of Jesus. So just a couple of minutes in silence, and then I'll close us out here. Just pray to yourself.